0: This is a special message to the listeners of the Lost Roman Heroes podcast. In the last episode, number 26 on Agrippa, you heard that our sound quality was not up to snuff. And the reason for that is my son Mateo and I are now separated by the Atlantic Ocean and we're working through the technical challenges that's been presented to us. But we are here to make this pledge to you. We will continue to make great content. We will continue to produce this podcast that you've come to love and we will work through these little technical glitches, I promise. On the episode you're about to hear, number 27, they're still there, but by 28, I assure you, we will have worked through them or substantially improved upon them because we are committed to you, our listeners. Thank you so much for supporting us. And now let's jump in to episode 27, Octavian, part one. (laughs) Welcome to the Lost Roman Heroes podcast. My name is Matthew. My name is Mateo. And together, we're diving deep into the history of Rome from its founding to his death, uncovering Rome's greatest heroes along the way and ranking them. Welcome to episode number 27, Octavian. And this is Octavian part one. Mateo. Good morning.
1: We're finally there. We are there. Day of all days.
0: Today of or all no, the days. End of, the, end of all, the
1: end of all days.
0: Yeah. It is we've been talking about this endgame thing that's been percolating for over a century, right? And yeah. and we're here.
1: It's the fall of Carthage,
0: basically. It's the fall of Carthage, and I was gonna say Carthage didn't get a second act, but the truth is Carthage did get a second act, you no, know, as a as a city in the Roman Empire. But it's a little different. So, before we get going with Octavian, Matteo, wanted to ask you this one thing. And we've gone through this with Caesar, but I feel the same way with Octavian, which is, this is called the Lost Roman Heroes podcast. If anybody in the history of Rome is not lost, it's this Octavian dude. So what exactly are we doing making an episode on him?
1: Well, it is called Lost Roman Heroes, but I think it's our duty also to... I mean, for context, I think it's our duty to analyze like big characters like this guy, who definitely was a hero in my book, even though he's definitely not lost for context sake. And uh, for context sake, I think it's important.
0: So you're saying, without understanding Octavian, we really can't understand Rome and the one thousand four hundred and fifty some odd years of history that comes after him.
1: Yeah, because since Octavian's the first, Octavian sets the standard, he sets the bar, and we're gonna see how How low the standard drops uh, in the next like thousand years. So,
0: okay, could you please sort of talk towards the mic? We're having a hard enough time technically as it is.
1: Sorry, I was plugging my headphones.
0: Okay, so to our listeners, this is the second episode, and I know you can tell the difference, in which Matteo and I are not physically next to each other recording this podcast. And it causes some issues. I promise we're gonna keep working on the technical aspect of this so that such that by the next one I think we have it completely ironed out but I know it doesn't sound ideal hopefully we make up for it with great content and I promise our production quality is going to improve Mateo's across the Atlantic right now and we're, we're tweaking the the, the technical six hours ahead you are six hours ahead so I had to wake up extra early to do this podcast and Mateo is, well, in the middle of his day. At any rate, let's get going. I think that your argument for covering Octavian is, is valid. So let's not dilly-dally. Let's jump into this guy. Uh, this guy that the world saw as a weakling.
1: Yep. They saw him as the the runt of the litter.
0: That's so well put. He was very much the runt of the litter. And this runt was... The ugly
1: duckling, you
0: could say. The, the ugly duckling was born in 63 BC, the same year as his BFF, Agrippa, who we covered last episode. Right. But Octavian was born in Rome. And he was born in a Rome that was coming apart at the seams. I want to just set the context again. We've talked about this over multiple episodes, but... The wheels really started coming off of the Republic in one thirty three BC, and it started to come off with Tiberius Gracchus, who I continue to refer to under protest. I don't believe he should have made it into the Hall of Heroes, but so be it. The listeners voted, and you got to respect the we, listeners.
1: We did say we were going to have a reevaluation one day, so
0: that's true. Actually, I think we said that we were going to go through these guys after the Octavian episodes and review. Right. All of our episodes from the beginning and do a quick little thumbnail sketch of each. So, oh, shortcoming. I'm looking forward to doing that. Me too. So, my issue with Tiberius Gracchus is, is that he invented the idea of using violence to achieve your political means. You know, he was the first one to deploy street thugs, the first one to murder a political opponent. It was just this whole knee breaker, mafioso concept. It started with the Gracchi brothers. You know, and that really. I just have a hard time with him. You know, the, the the old decorum, the old restraint that used to regulate political behavior in Rome started eroding rapidly with a gracchi. guy and we have a number right. number of people that came after them that used their same playbook. I don't you feel that way?
1: Yeah, they were like um they were like Joseph Kennedy, Joe Kennedy. Yeah. Like the first Joe Kennedy is like the first Capone's Sleazy businessman.
0: Yeah. First guys to take things to a different level. Yeah. So imagine this. Imagine this, Mateo. Imagine that you're an average Joe in the street, okay? And let's say you were 10 years old when Tiberius Gracchus was was uh, roughing people up in the streets. That's 133 BC. We're in 63 BC. Mateo, quick, do the math.
1: 133
0: to 60? 63. Uh, 133, 63, 70? You got it. All right. You got it. So if you were 10 years yeah. old during with Tiberius Gracchus, you're now 80 years old. Chances are you're not alive. But let's say that you were born sometime during the time of the Gracchi or shortly thereafter. And so all you've ever known is insecurity on the streets of Rome and maybe not outright civil war, but you've known a dangerous world. A world in which respect, in some ways, no longer existed. A world in which the patricians and the plebs didn't really matter anymore. It was about the wealthy, and really the Senate, and everybody else. And even amongst the Senate, uh, it, it, you get the sense that people weren't out for the best uh, uh, to better the Republic, they were out to line their own pockets. It was an ugly, brutish, violent, and I would say dark time this last 80 years or so in the history of the Republic. Right. It was a mobster mentality. right
1: For sure it was uh, unrest on the streets.
0: Yeah. so it started with a Grat guy and then we go to Marius about 30 years later who took that mob mobster mentality to the next level. And then it was Marius and Sinna uh, right. who were The mer- people's
1: factions, basically, the people's factions started undermining the government.
0: Yeah, yeah, or people that were manipulating. These are wealthy patricians and plebs that were manipulating the sentiment of the people to achieve their own personal objectives. Uh, and after, after Marius Sinna, we had Sulla that tried, he sort of upped the ante, even though he was trying right. to put put the Republic back on firmer footing?
1: Pompey.
0: Oh, yeah. Big time. What did Pompey do?
1: Well, Pompey had basically the control of all the gangs in the city.
0: Which is incredible. You know what? Caesar and Sulla get so much flack for what they did and somehow Pompey is held up to be this paragon of virtue. But he was... He was as bad as any of them.
1: They were all bad. It's just... Bad people were deciding
0: which one to side with. Yeah, I, I think there's truth to what you say. And in terms of the all bad, you know, some people, and I, I was talking to somebody last night. I was at a wedding and it was actually uh, your first cousin. And yeah, I missed
1: it. I'm sorry about that, by yeah, the way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Anyways, I think he wouldn't mind if we use his name. I was talking to Cece and he said, you know what? Why did you cave? Why did you put Caesar into the hall? Why did you vote with Matteo? And I think he
1: didn't. He doesn't think Caesar's a hero. Huh?
0: No, he he. Well, he understood the argument, I think, but he wanted to hear a little bit more about it. And I think one of the big differences between Caesar and a Pompey and a Marius is that Caesar didn't march into Rome and start killing his opponents. If anything, Caesar but, bent over backwards to be.
1: Yeah. You could leave, take your things, have have a nice travel basically.
0: Yeah. I he was he was incredibly oh, for, yeah. forgiving. Incredibly forgiving. Mean, he doesn't
1: forgiving. demand and multiple times over, he won't he could he could see you in battle multiple times and still won't demand your loyalty.
0: Yes. And he didn't put up lists in the forum of his enemies and then send out hitmen to take them out. Uh which but no bounties. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So for me that was what convinced me. I have a hard time still with what Caesar did in Gaul, which constitutes on um, it would seem many people say uh, a kind of genocide. I haven't really I mean, you can't possibly get comfortable with that, but that's
1: I mean, yeah, it was an unjustified word, but is any word at the end of the day justified?
0: Mm, yeah. I I guess it's it's a valid conversation and a valid point. So getting back to this guy in the street, this guy that grew up in the era of the Gracchi, and all they ever knew was violence on the streets, the Senate does nothing for me. Um, all of a sudden, this guy, Gaius Julius Caesar, comes along, and he ended the civil wars. And he very much favored the little man in the street, and you get the sense with Caesar, it wasn't just posturing, he really empathized with them, because he grew up amongst them. And there was an right. there was a shot. You got this sense that there was a shot at real peace, a real peace, a, a real like a, a normal a normalization of life on the streets in Rome, thanks to Caesar. Right. right. And then on March fifteenth, of forty four B C, he's murdered, in cold blood, by the very people that you see as the root of the problem, the selfish. Right? and they held themselves as heroes and they held themselves as the liberators that's what they called themselves so from Gracchus 133 BC to Caesar in 44 BC that's 89 years of chaos 89 years of violence 89 years of Roman against Roman you know how, yeah. many, how many tens of thousands had died in that period of time as a result of this political violence how many families had lost someone
1: hundreds of thousands
0: and the guy that was going to give you a shot at the Rome that people still told stories about he's now been murdered just imagine the exhaustion the number of Romans that were willing at this point Matteo to accept anything just give me a way out of the chaos is it gonna be a republic is it gonna be a king do I really care like average Joe wants peace right bread. bread and and like security on the table just to know that I can walk out <laughs> my door and not run the risk of getting killed yeah so right. this is the context that I think we need to understand for what comes next it is the setup for a boy named Octavian and I'm going to start you out in his story with a little surprise Octavian The man that would be known someday as Augustus was born a pleb on September 23rd of the year 63 B.C. And a bigger surprise. History knows him as Octavian, but Octavian was not his name. He was born Gaius Octavius, and so his family name, his clan, was the Octavii. And this young man was named after his father, a Gaius Octavius. He had a great-grandfather who was distinguished as a military tribune in the Second Punic War. But this is not someone that was born in a family that had posted a long line of consuls, for example. They were an equestrian family that had done some decent things over the generations, but nothing truly remarkable. And his dad seemed like a decent guy, Matteo. He was he was a military tribune, and then he was a pro in Macedonia. So, so that's...
1: Oh, that, that's fairly accomplished.
0: It is fairly accomplished. He hadn't served as consul yet, and in fact, after his term as proconsul in Macedonia ended, uh, he started heading back to Rome for the consular elections, and it seems like there was a decent shot that he was going to be elected, but... He died along the way. Well,
1: those things seem always seem so convenient in Rome.
0: This seems like it was a genuine death and that he wasn't poisoned or stabbed or something nefarious happened. Oh uh,
1: yeah, well, then that's just bad bad luck with the fates. Yeah, it was bad
0: bad luck with the gods. And young Octavian was only four years old, which left Octavian in the care of his mom, who was a nice lady called you know this don't tell me
1: don't
0: tell me I'm not going to tell you not Agrippina
1: no not Agrippina not Julia no what was your name uh damn it um <laughs> I, it's on the top of my head <laughs> right. Attica? no that's that's Athens, no, right? it's
0: not my. no Atia
1: oh Atia yeah, right
0: yeah. so Atia yes. Atia was a nice she was a remarkable woman and she had an uncle. She had an uncle. She
1: did. A, fairly obs- a pretty obscure and not well-known
0: guy. By the name of?
1: Gaius Julius Caesar.
0: That dude. You, you nailed it. So, Atia was the second wife to Gaius Octavius. And she had a special feeling about her boy, Octavian. Listen, we're going to call him Octavian throughout the episode because, for reasons that will become obvious as we move along into his life, and to our listeners, Octavian will not be one episode. He's going to be at least two, if not three. We'll do our best to be efficient, but he merits the extra time without a doubt. So, getting back to uh, Atia's special feeling about her son, the Roman historian Suetonius, who was writing about a hundred years later, wrote of this legend about Atia and the birth of Octavian. Sutonia said, When Atia had come in the middle of the night to the solemn service of Apollo, she had her litter set down in the temple and fell asleep, while the rest of the matrons also slept. All of a sudden, a serpent glided up to her and shortly went away. When she awoke, she purified herself, as if after the embraces of her husband, it was a little weird, and at once, there appeared on her body a mark in colors like a serpent, and she could never get rid of it, so that presently she ceased to go to the public baths for shame. And in the tenth month after that, Augustus was born, and was therefore regarded as the son of Apollo. Well, it's
1: kind of funny
0: how the Jew guys keep getting lucky with this, huh? <laughs> it's true. It's true. Hey. The you know, they're,
1: the brokest, they're the brokest losers in the forum. They're still gods.
0: Yeah, but the gods are partial to them. You can't argue with the gods. So, not bad. Not a bad little start for a little boy, Octavian. He was born in Rome, but he was taken shortly thereafter to a small town south of Rome called Velitrai. And today it's Veletri, which still exists. It's kind of on the outskirts of greater metropolitan Rome, but then it was some kind of a journey. So he was going to be raised there outside of the violent... And sort of unhealthy environment in Rome. And in that little town, the Octavii were an ancient, respected pleb family. They had a street named after them. Uh, they were big fish in a small pond. Right. It
1: was cute. Good fellas.
0: And good fellas? What?
1: Yeah, they were good fellas. Hey, yeah. The Smiths.
0: Yeah, they were good Everyone fellas.
1: Everyone loves the Smiths.
0: Everyone loves the Smiths. Yeah. So, anyways, back to Octavian. When, when he was a boy, like, little boy, because we know his dad died when he was four. So, prior to his dad's death, his dad was sent by the Senate at, at, as, a, as a military commander, a tribune, to put down a slave revolt at a place called Thuri, or Thuri. Uh, there were some holdovers from Spartacus's gang, who were still going strong, which is amazing. I mean, how long ago was Spartacus? That was a while ago.
1: <clears throat> yeah, that was... 50 years before?
0: Yes, yeah, so these, these guys must have been on the old side. I don't know. Maybe it was the sons of Spartacus' gang. But uh, Gaius Octavius was sent there, and he put down this gang. And when he got back, he was proud of his achievement, as he should have been. And he gave his son a new cognomen, which was Thurinus, based on the place where he put down the slaves, the Thurai. And Gaius Octavius is now known as Gaius Octavius Thurinus. Years later, Mark Antony, his great rival and sometimes collaborator, would needle him, calling him Therenas, trying to put him down. I guess he thought it sounded like a dorky name. And Octavian wow. would... Uh?
1: I didn't, I didn't see Mark Antony with any cognomen.
0: Yeah, that is true. Yeah, he did not have a cognomen. You're absolutely right. So Octavian, Calm, cool, Collected Octavian, would respond to uh, uh, Antony saying something like, Sticks and stones may break my bones. He would say, but dude, you're, you're calling me by my name. Is, why should my name insult me? That's who I am. Mm. So so this Gaius Octavius Therenas, I want to make this point one last time. In his lifetime, my son, he was never called right. Octavian. It was not his That's name.
1: Really? Yes. I, I never knew that
0: it was a nickname invented by historians to try to distinguish himself from his dad who had the same name and from his adopted dad mr gaius julius caesar so it in it's his, cool. it is amazing in his long life and he lived and reigned a long time he was never known by he was never called in life octavian and yet we're going to have the gall to call him octavian throughout this episode Sorry about that, Mr. Octavian.
1: Well, that's
0: just,
1: I'm sorry, that's just how it is, how he's known. It, it, that's it, his name. Why it, should he be, why should he be insulted
0: by his name? Yeah, and, and I guess the last funny thing about the name is, well, I'm not going to give it away. We'll see it later on in the episode. So here is on our website, www.lostgermanheroes.com, a picture of the young Octavian. And I really like this coin. Matteo. you should be looking at it as well. You know, there are incredible okay. sculptures of Octavian when he was known as Augustus. They littered the empire, and we have many examples of them today. Many museums boast them, and they all look the same. He looks like a god in the sculptures. But if you look at this coin, what do you see?
1: Just looks like, just looks like a kid.
0: Looks like a kid, right? Yeah. No indication of the greatness to come. Uh, This looks like a young man who was trying to find his place in the world, and he had some stuff going for him, and he had some stuff going against him, and there was a crazy brain inside that noggin of his that we're looking at. So I'd encourage the listeners to check it out. It's pretty remarkable. He has a classical Roman nose. Looks like he maybe got into, he didn't get into a fight. We know he wasn't a fighter, but has a kind of a a bump in the middle of it, kind of sharp and pointy at the end, Uh, maybe big ears. Mm -hmm. The chin isn't super distinguished. And the jaw isn't super distinguished. Yeah. Yeah. The jaw is not at all. Neck seems weak. Yeah. Neck seems weak. Yeah.
1: You can get in the gym for sure.
0: He 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 needs some like protein shakes. Yeah,
1: definitely.
0: Yeah. So we talked his early days, his dad died, mom remarried, Atia remarried quickly. A guy that was a former governor of the Syrian province. His name was Lucius Martius Philippus. And Lucius Martius didn't really care about Octavian. Not that he didn't like him. He just didn't think about him. just wasn't that important. And he wanted to have fun with Atia. And so Octavian was sent away to live with the sister of Gaius Julius Caesar, a woman by the name of Julia. And Octavian would stay in her house until he was 12 years old. So he really grew up with Julia, not with his mom
1: which is pretty funny because we know Atia is a very have like obsessive
0: helicopter mom. Yes, true. And she's held up as a paragon of virtue as a Roman woman, uh, but she was not involved in her son's life for his formative years uh, until fifty one BC when Julia died and Octavian was back in the house with with uh, with Atya and with his stepdad. stepdaddy daddy. stepdaddy.
1: That must have been awkward.
0: I would imagine so.
1: Yeah, after like what how eight, eight years of just having fun and running wild and then you just get a knock on the door. Yeah. And it's, it's your dweeby little stepson.
0: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So what's He's up with this dude? And
1: like running his runny nose glasses
0: saying, "Hello, mother."
1: Yeah, how Yeah. Uh, it must have been awkward.
0: It must have been awkward for a few years until the age of sixteen. so a couple years later he put on the toga of manhood, the toga virilis. He was virile. He's a man now. and
1: right. he's ready for action.
0: Ready for action and what kind of action was this guy like prepared for with his skinny neck? and he was elected to the College the of Pontiffs. Yeah, they made him a priest. Which is, it yeah, which is sort of moving along a typical path for a young, distinguished Roman because
1: yeah, it was similar path to, to Caesar.
0: Th- that is true. But one thing was clear from anybody that knew the young man simply by looking at him is this is not the idealized Roman man. Like we talked about Agrippa, Agrippa was classic Roman. You know, he was strong, he was physically robust, he in, excelled in the martial uh martial endeavors with a sword and with a shield and with a bow the guy was good this guy looked like you could break him with a st- with a stiff wind you know he was skinny right, this guy just looks like
1: part of my language
0: but if someone farts on him he's going to kill a little <laughs> <bad>. okay <laughs> yeah he probably walked around the forum hoping that nobody was going to fart on him you're you're probably right so
1: yeah he definitely got a lot of wedges
0: Oh, for sure. He was that guy. He was that guy that got wedgies in the playground. He was, however, very, very smart, and everybody around him knew that. And what's more, and maybe this is underappreciated, he had a genuine knack with people. He picked his friends very well, and that is is a gift. Was he charismatic? He, He was. I don't know if he was charismatic or there was just something compelling and genuine about him. I don't know. But, you know, we've seen rulers or leaders in history that had this remarkable ability to attract remarkable people to them. We'll see it in Justinian the Greats episode, and you talk about this guy all the time. I think JFK also had that ability, you know, this whole concept of Camelot. Yep,
1: Cult of personality.
0: Yes. That's right. Cult of personality. But in a cult of personality, you can attract, you know, craven, nasty grubby people, or you can attract remarkable people, artists and politicians uh, and, uh, and, and and military minds, and that was the case with Octavian. So, uh, mom, mommy, mother dearest, Atia, she knew her son's limitations, knew what he was good at, as moms often do. Moms are remarkable with their ability to perceive the reality of their kids, and Atia was no different. So when Octavian said, Mother, I would like to go join my great-uncle Gaius Julius Caesar in Africa. At this point, Matteo uh, Caesar was fighting the, the rump forces of the Republic. Atia said, No. No, no, you're not going anywhere. I don't want you to get killed or stung by a bee and, and die.
1: Poison
0: ivy, maybe. Yeah, get, Yeah, I don't want you to get a nasty case of poison uh, ivy. What, what will he do without mommy? Yeah, exactly. And so then, a little later on, when Caesar is now mopping up the Republican resistance in Spain, this is you know the two Pompeii boys and our old friend Labienus, um, it, she finally said, you know what, this is in 46 B.C. She said, okay, all right. Fine, fine, I'll let you go. You know, maybe this is a good PR campaign because she's now thinking about, you know, Uncle Caesar is moving up in the world. It might not be bad for Octavian to to seem to be connected with with his uncle. Right,
1: to hop on that train.
0: Yeah, so he did hop on the train, or actually, he hopped on a boat with Agrippa, BFF, and a small group of supporters, and sailed for Hispania. And on the way he was shipwrecked uh, on the shores of Hispania and he and Agrippa had to march overland through Pompeian territory uh, to get to the Battle of Munda and they arrived just after the battle had ended. Gosh darn. You know, I'm sure Octavian really wanted to throw himself into the bloody battle. But he missed it. Right.
1: He was really itching for a fight.
0: Itching for a fight uh a good bout of Caesar's
1: probably coming home as soon as he finished his homework.
0: Yeah, exactly. So Caesar welcomed the young man to his tent, and the if it was a ploy, and it seems like everything Octavian did in life was a ploy, it worked because Caesar was impressed. For Octavian to have arrived right after the Battle of Munda had ended, he must have left a couple months before before the outcome was known. Like many people would go on to kiss Caesar's rear end after he finally triumphed in Munda, but Octavian ran the risk. The 17-year-old kid ran the risk of walking right into a shooting war that his uncle may or may not have won. So Caesar said, skinny dude, uh, sticks and bones, but it took some guts to come here and visit me, and and I, I recognized that. So now Caesar has triumphed. Labienus is dead. Long live Labienus. Miss you. And he, Caesar starts the return journey to Rome, and he says to Octavian, "Hey, join me, join me in my carriage. Let's talk. let's Let's get to know each other All right. So this is seventeen year old, seventeen year old octavian, fifty five year old Gaius Julius Caesar, in a carriage rumbling on the Roman road up through Hispania, into Gaul, and they're talking. What do you think they talked right. about?
1: I think everything. Everything like probably Octavian's um, like, uh, aspirations, his um, view on politics, probably. Uh, I mean, you can only imagine. Maybe they played some chess. It
0: it must have been all of the above. I think you're right. It must have been deep, and it was enough for Caesar, who was a gifted judge of character and perhaps of all of his gifts this is his greatest because he saw in a 17 year old weakling something truly remarkable something truly remarkable and we'll see why in a second because in Gaul this caravan Caesar's caravan picked up a straggler that had been in Gaul waiting and that straggler was Caesar,
1: Mark. Oh, uh, Mark Antony.
0: Caesar. Yeah. Mark Antony. Mark Antony.
1: The the capo regime.
0: Yeah. Yes, <laughs> you're so right. You're so right. And Mark Antony bumped Octavian in the carriage, so Octavian got bumped to carriage number two. Probably Agrippa was in That's there. That's
1: messed up.
0: That's messed up. Yeah. And Mark Antony took his place for the rest of the ride to Rome. However. And this is, in my mind, one of the most remarkable things that Caesar accomplished in his long line of remarkable accomplishments. He had seen enough of the young man because he had made a decision, Matteo, in that ride home, a decision that would impact the fate of humankind. Because when he arrived in Rome, he.
1: Man, as we know it.
0: Yeah. He went to the Temple of the Vestal Virgins. And the Temple of the Vestal Virgins was. Not just the temple of the Vestal Virgins, where the Vestal Virgins lived and and, and prayed and worshipped, but it was also where people, and I guess people from a certain segment of society, right, high society, it's where they they deposited their wills for safekeeping. And Caesar deposited a new will, but he didn't tell anybody about the contents, because in that will, he named a new heir, and that heir was... Octavian
1: The rest was history.
0: The rest was history a couple weeks How long could they have been in that carriage for maybe in the camp in in Munda and in the carriage for what a few weeks? Was it a month was it two? I don't know couldn't have been much more than that But that was enough for him to choose Octavian as heir number one and not just heir number one There's a surprise in that. We'll we'll get to it in a second. There was an heir number two which was Mr. Marcus Junius Brutus. The man that would be well, we saw last episode or two episodes ago. One of his killer. Yeah, his killer. And heir number three was another killer of Caesar, Decimus Brutus. Back up to the so, backup.
1: It's a good thing number one was who
0: he was. Yeah, that's true. It's true.
1: That oh. it would
0: have been really awkward. are <laughs> right. You're right. And the winner is? My, be- yeah. my beloved
1: adopted
0: son. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that would have been massively awkward. So, Octavian's back in Rome with Caesar, Matteo, but he didn't stay there for long. Caesar sent, uh, they got back to Rome in October of 45. We know that Caesar died in March of 44, but Octavian and Agrippa weren't there because Caesar sent them east. Almost as soon as they got back to Rome, He sent them to modern Albania, then a place known as Apollonia, which is where the Macedonian legions were massing, practicing, training, and getting ready. ready, ready, Getting ready. So, getting ready. Yeah. So,
1: Caesar definitely saw something in Agrippa, too,
0: then. Oh, he did, very much so. I think Caesar saw that Octavian had this remarkable brain, but he had some deficiencies, and, and Agrippa could help to plug those deficiencies. This is a, right. a loyal and remarkable young man that could do everything that Octavian could not.
1: Right. He was he was more well-rounded, and Octavian was much more... Um, what call it? Uh, he was much more specialized.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he was much more specialized. He was a crazy brain.
1: Right. This guy was, like, an Alex Verdugo, and, or Xander Bogarts, and the other guy was, like... Hey, Babe Ruth.
0: Yeah. Or you know what I was you thinking? Hit the bomb. A little bit, and it's not entirely fair to Agrippa, but what's that character in Game of Thrones, that super powerful guy, like super strong, but he's not that smart, that was carried around uh, Eddard Stark's son in a basket on his back? Oh, God. what's the guy's name?
1: Oh, oh, Ador, like Yeah, Hodor. Exactly right. Hodor, yeah. Hodor. Hodor. Yeah, Hodor. No, I don't I don't know because I think it's like I don't yeah
0: maybe no but <laughs> no brand. I agree it's not fair because Agrippa is brilliant uh, Agrippa is accomplished in in uh, in, in in military uh, matters and and has proven himself time and again in battle but in addition right it's
1: like it's probably like um, it's probably like uh, Ned Stark could be Agrippa and then Augustus is like Tyrion just a you, genius
0: like, <clears> you know <as throat> what that's a much better analogy you're right. That's a much better analogy. You are absolutely right. So the two men are in the East. They're studying philosophy, but they're also mingling with the legions. And that was part of Caesar's plan. Not just cultivate the mind, but this. he already had Octavian on this path for you know, to, to be his successor. And to be a successor at this stage in Rome, you needed to have the support of the legions. There was no other way around it. Right. So they're making important connections. Caesar is about to sail east and join them to go on his campaign against Parthia to recover Crassus' lost standards, to avenge Crassus' humiliation, and then March rolls around. March of 44, and a letter arrives in camp for Octavian from his mom, Yep. Yeah. bad news. Bad
1: news. Like
0: Uncle Caesar hit the
1: bucket, or
0: whatever
1: the expression
0: is. <laughs> he yeah. didn't hit the bucket, he kicked the bucket. Did he? Oh, kicked the bucket, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Uncle Caesar kicked the bucket. Yeah. The man that had stopped the civil wars, the man that had consolidated all power, unprecedented power in the history of Rome. And when I say unprecedented, I mean unprecedented for five centuries, right? Not since the last king had ruled in Rome, had there been someone like Caesar. And that dude just died. And he died violently at the hands of the Senate. And Attio was concerned, as you can imagine, because... Octavian was, you know, was part of the family. He was a male a male heir, although at this point, nobody knew how close an heir he was. And she said to him in this letter, young man, come home to mommy. Avoid all controversy. Don't play politics. Keep a low profile. These are troubled times, and you're just a skinny runt, and I'm worried about you.
1: Yeah, you're just a little little piece of crap. <laughs> I don't know if she little... said a, you're just a worthless little
0: nothing. Yeah, I'm you're sure. little, just come home to mommy, and mommy will take care of you and wipe your nose. So Octavian shared the letter with his small circle of friends, which was really, there were two key friends at the center of the circle. It was Agrippa, of course, and another guy named Rufus. And he said, what do you guys think I should do? And their answer was clear. It was, this is your moment, dude. This is your moment. Don't run back home. Don't listen to your mom. Take control of the legions. We're here with see, your uncles, your great-uncles, Macedonian co- uh, legions. Take control. This is the only way to protect your future. This is your leverage. When you're 18 years old, they'll follow you. They, they actually like you for whatever reason. Let's make a move on Rome, just like Amarius had done or a Sulla had done or a Caesar had done. This is your time.
1: I take it back. Do you know who they remind me of? Who? Agrippa's like Boromir, and Augustus is like Faramir.
0: Boromir and Theramir.
1: Do you remember who they were from? Lord yeah, Aramir? Theramir
0: is the younger brother, right?
1: Yeah, the one that's smarter, but not
0: quite. Um, he, he, not the warrior he that, that his brother longer. was. I think I don't even think Octavian was that warrior like as Thérymir. I think he was. Well, yeah, but I
1: think Faramir was just a lot more fair and a lot like. Theramir yes,
0: and smarter. I I think more, that's better judgment. I think that th- that is certainly the case. Like
1: it's like when Boromir was confronted with taking the ring to Gondor, he gave in, but Thérymir yeah. let them go. Yeah, that's that's. I like he, this moment. Yeah, like, that's true. Take control of the legions and march on Rome.
0: And this so this yeah. you're right. This is sort of an analogous moment because, Octavian said no. Like it's it's not my time. I mean, it may be my time to to kind of rise, but I'm not going to do it at the back of the army. Not yet, not yet. Like he had a sense of things, and the way that Caesar had a sense of things, an ability to read the tea leaves or to hear the music, and so he said, "All things in due time. We will return to Rome. We will return to Rome together. But we're not going to return quietly." I'm not going to do what you want, necessarily, but I'm not doing what mommy wants, either. I'm going to walk my own path, which he did. So these three friends, Octavian, Agrippa, and Rufus, sailed for Italy, and they landed in a place called Lupiae, which is modern Lecce in Puglia, which is a place I'm dying to visit. This is not far, this is the heel of the boot, and it's not far from Brundisium, modern Brindisi, on the Adriatic. And when he landed, he met, or he learned of, a couple very important things. First of all, when he landed, he met more of Caesar's legions that were massing in Brindisium, getting ready to sail across the Adriatic for the Parthian campaign. So he was able did to they know, he was able, did they know about Caesar's death? Yeah, they did. And so he mingled with the men, and they embraced him because he was a male relative of Caesar. But more importantly, and this is key, he got life-changing news that would alter life and history as we know it forever. He was received news of Caesar's will. Mm-hmm. And in that will, he was named principal heir and something even more. He was adopted. Son. Yeah. He was and adopted. The brand,
1: he's the brand new Julius Caesar.
0: Yep. He was adopted posthumously by Gaius Julius Caesar. And on the spot, he changed his name to Gaius Julius Caesar. So...
1: So was that his idea or was that Caesar's idea?
0: Changing the name? Uh, yeah, I... Oh, man. You stumped me with these questions. And I don't know. I did so much research. How could I have not...
1: I just, I wanted to see, like, so what, you just got adopted and
0: they never asked for your opinion? I, okay, he was given the opportunity to say no. That's why Caesar had backup heirs. And I'm not certain, Matteo. I'm going to have to research that one, and in, in Octavian episode number two, I'll, I'll clarify it. I'm not certain if it was Caesar's idea or Octavian's idea. But regardless, he accepted two-thirds of Caesar's estate on the spot, which is infinite money. He changed his name. Right to Gaius Julius Caesar and one more little point here let's not forget Gaius Julius Caesar the original did have a blood son he had a bastard yeah he
1: did Caesarus.
0: Caesarian Caesar. oh Caesarian yeah. yep there was a little boy who was two years old at this point named Caesarian living in Egypt with his mom Cleopatra but Caesar didn't even consider him as an heir why is that?
1: Because he wasn't Roman, you know, he, it would be, it would be, um, what's it called? Um, what's the one word? It would create a public outcry.
0: It, it would be. It was almost sacrilegious. He was not pure-blooded Roman, and so he wasn't even eligible to be considered as the heir. So, right. Here's It'd Octavian. Be sacrilegious.
1: sacrilegious. That's the word I was
0: thinking. Yeah, sacrilegious. You're right. So Octavian is standing on the docks. He is now called Gaius Julius Caesar. Imagine the reaction of the legions when he said, I too am Caesar.
1: Well, um, it's like the second coming of of their hero.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, it reminds me, it's like a little bit of a flashback to remember when Scipio the younger Scipio Africanus went to Hispania after his father and uncle were killed in battle against the 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 Barkas. and he went and stood in front of the legions and said, "You know, I I too am Scipio."
1: Yeah, I do remember that. He was that also is cool. That's it's a nice parallel.
0: Yeah, and he, there, he was also a young kid at the time. So here's this young, skinny kid with his young, buff, really cool best friends, uh, yeah. standing in front of the legions, <clears throat> saying, yeah, I'm, that, that's, I'm Caesar's son. I am he's Caesar's behind, son. He
1: was probably hiding behind a grip when you say that. <laughs> he,
0: probably, he probably was. He probably was. Caesar's
1: son? Where is Caesar's son? Yeah. Uh, here? Just
0: like six here I am. His from Actually, you know what, Mateo, now that I think about this, adoption was very common in ancient Rome, and we've talked about this before, and it was common when you were adopted that you would change your name to the name of your adopted father. So, I think that this was just like standard operating procedure. I'll verify it, but I think it was, he was just doing, following custom. But there was one thing about custom that he did not follow. Because when you're adopted by someone else, you typically hang on to your last name and you tack it on to the end as a cognomen.
1: Right, like skip you. Yeah. Remember that one we saw. Yeah, like
0: that one Scipio that we saw. You're right. Ah, I forget, uh, Emilianus. I don't, I don't. remember which one it was. But so, if you were following hey, was custom,
1: wasn't it a Gracchus
0: that was Scipio? I don't know. I don't yeah. recall. But if you were following custom, his name should have been Gaius Julius Caesar. Gaius Julius Caesar Octavius. But he didn't keep Octavius. Because Octavius was humble, and by the way, if you anglicize Octavius, it's Octavian, and that's where the nickname comes from. That's been used for centuries. It, <clears throat> yeah, but but he didn't hang on to it because he didn't want to remind people of his sort of humble origins. Nothing wrong with his origins, but it wasn't the same thing as being a full-blooded Julii. So he right, changed. It wasn't
1: the same thing as <clears throat> being a son of a
0: god. That's right. That's right. So. That's that's where we are. We're standing on the docks and we have this young dude, Gaius Julius Caesar, saying, eh, you know, what now? Not only did he find an army at Brundisium Mateo, but he also found money. Caesar had been massing troops, but also massing money that he was going to use to pay for his troops, to ferry them across the Adriatic. So Gaius Julius Caesar the younger, a.k.a. Octavian, took the money, and he took 3,000 of Caesar's veterans. These were guys were hardcore Caesar loyalists that had fought with Caesar through Gaul for eight years, and he started marching north. Sorry, what did you say? Thick and thin. Thick and thin. And he started marching north to Rome with his best friend, Agrippa. <laughs> two year nineteen-year-olds on the road to their future, with three, with three thousand soldiers and a box of gold. Modest company. Yeah. Now, I want to give you a little bit of a, not so much a reminder, but I want to I want to fill in the blanks of what's been happening in Rome since March fifteenth of forty four. The Ides of March. What what's happened in Rome? Because this is sixty days later, by the time that Octavian hits Italy. What's happened in Rome in sixty days since the murder of Caesar? Well,
1: uh since the murder of
0: Caesar. I don't I don't really know to be honest, actually. Well <laughs> you know, I didn't know either. So I'm gonna I'm gonna fill you in on what's been going on. On March 15, Caesar is killed, and we remember that Antony was standing outside the theater of Pompeii when Caesar was murdered inside. He had been deliberately waylaid by conspirators. So when they come storming out of the theater of Pompeii with bloody daggers, Antony freaked out, which surprises me a little bit because Antony, he's the, he's the mob enforcer, right? He's the tough guy. But he, he, he went a little chicken on March 15th. And he disguised himself as a priest and he ran out of the city. Does that surprise you?
1: Honestly, no. He seems like a vile knave. A knave. A, a, poor, a, a poor character. Yeah. Uh, a craven.
0: Yeah. You get the sense that if that was Agrippa standing outside the theater of Pompeii, he's not running anywhere.
1: Yeah, he's... He's going down swinging.
0: He's going down swinging, and he's going to use... He's going to make it right. He's going to use his engineering brain to find a solution. But Antony runs away. Right. That's March 15th. March 16th, Matteo, one day later, a guy by the name of Lepidus. I think you remember Lepidus. He was the guy that Caesar substituted Mark Antony with when Mark Antony was botching the management of Rome. In Caesar's absence, Caesar put Lepidus in charge. So this this guy, Lepidus, who was a former consul, gathers some troops and he brings them into the city to settle things down. He's ready to knock some heads together. Right. But Antony somehow persuaded Lepidus, hey, buddy, don't pull a Marius, okay? Let's not, let's not start murdering people in cold blood in the streets. Let's take things bit by bit and see how this thing plays out. Which surprises me by Antony because again, he's a meathead. Caesar! Right. Maybe he was just anxious. Maybe he was just nervous. Maybe he thought that it was, he just didn't want to see bloodshed. I don't know. It surprises me. The, his behavior in the days that followed Caesar's death surprised me.
1: Sketchy. Also <clears throat> sketchy, you never told Caesar about
0: it. So, uh, I could not agree know. with you more.
1: Maybe we don't know the full story.
0: It's you, you may well be right, because he knew that there was something brewing against Caesar for many months, like six, nine months before Caesar was actually murdered. And he said nothing to Caesar. So now March 17th, two days after Caesar's death, the Senate meets, Matteo and Antony's back in town. Antony is the sole consul at this point. The other consul had been Caesar, and Caesar's now dead. And Antony's the only guy with an army behind him in Rome. And there's huge tension between the liberators, right, Caesar's murderers, and the supporters of the liberators, because there were many that supported what they did that didn't actually stab Caesar with a knife. And right. the faction of the cesareans and it seemed like violence could break out at any moment. But Cicero, this may surprise you; it surprised me. Remember, Cicero was not one of the conspirators. They didn't invite him into the conspiracy because they thought that he was just too, too much too of a too noble
1: to do that. Yeah,
0: too much too noble, or maybe too much of a wuss, or whatever the case may be. Cicero, at this point, Matteo, two days after Caesar's death, helped to broker a compromise between the liberators and the caesarians and this is the compromise which is a remarkable thing number 1 the liberators would be pardoned by the senate so they wouldn't be prosecuted for killing caesar in cold blood right. number 2 all of the laws that caesar passed would stand all right so we're going to let you guys get off for murdering caesar but caesar's laws remain in force right and Brutus and Cassius and Decimus Brutus, their appointments, so they had all received governorships from the Senate, their appointments would also stand. So we're not gonna we're not gonna try to revise history. Caesar's laws remain, these guys still get their powerful appointments. It's a little tit for tat. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. And, and then something really weird happened, and I can't explain it. The Senate trying to mollify the hordes the crowds proposed a measure to deify Gaius Julius Caesar listen let's make the guy a god yeah we killed him that is true but let's try not to focus on the fact that we murdered him let's make him a god
1: isn't that honey honey isn't that funny how the religion of the time worked it
0: oh, is this guy's
1: dead we killed him let's make him a god let's
0: make, let's make him a god
1: does that make? Does that
0: so? Doesn't that mean there's no no valid validity? It's in, you it's know not what? valid right
1: because they made him a god, but he's not actually a god, right? It, it's so isn't that them kind of messing like playing with the gods, kind of.
0: It it's hard. I would love to be able to put myself in the heads of a, of a Roman of the time to try to understand like how cynical. Like was it? Do they really believe they had the power to defy? Or they're just—it's a legal deification. You are legally a god, but you're not really a god. You're like a second tier. I don't really know. Right,
1: and yeah,
0: I don't know. It's your point. You're bringing up a great point. It's weird. It's—it's it's hard for the modern mind to understand exactly what this meant. So, but this measure was put before the Senate, and Antony is sitting there as the sole consul. He vetoed the measure. I don't understand it. I've read this in many places, and I've looked for the rationale why. Why did Antony veto the deification of his old buddy and his boss? I don't know why. But I do know that it's sketchy and I know that the people in the streets learned of the fact that Antony had vetoed Caesar's deification and it started to like create daylight between their love for Caesar And their perception of Antony. But then again, Antony had already botched the management of Rome, so he he wasn't loved at any time, at any moment, by the people like Caesar had been loved. So, Matteo, a couple days later, March 19th, all right, Caesar's dead, killed on the 15th, it's the 19th, all of Rome was gathered in the Forum, and Caesar's will was read aloud. At that point, Octavian was named his heir, which was a big shocker. You can imagine that Antony was waiting for something really juicy, and he didn't get it in Caesar's will. So, he didn't get a He didn't get crapola. And the next day, March 20th of 44 BC, was Caesar's funeral. Imagine this, Mateo. We're in the middle of the forum. Caesar's body is laid on a, on a bier, ready to be cremated, right? And Mark Antony, the sole consul, stands in front of the body of his old mentor and boss, and he delivers a eulogy. This is how William Shakespeare imagined it many, many centuries later. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is oft interred with their bones, so let it be with Caesar." Powerful words. Never spoken, but powerful words. And we actually, maybe we have a better sense of what Antony said, because there's a Greek historian, Mateo, his name was Appian of Alexandria. He lived about 150 years after the events in question. And this is what he said, Mark Antony said, standing above Caesar's body with all of Rome surrounding him in the funeral. It is not right, my fellow citizens, for the funeral oration in praise of so great a man to be delivered by me, a single individual, instead of by his whole country. The honors that all of you alike, first Senate and then people, decreed for him in admiration of his qualities when he was still alive, these I shall read aloud and regard my voice as being not mine, but yours." very deftly put. I doubt Anthony actually spoke like that. However, he went on to list all of Caesar's remarkable accomplishments and everything that he <laughs> did for the people.
1: He's acting very bipolar.
0: He is. Like, what's... he has an angle. Like, this is Rocky. Rocky has an angle. Um, By the way, speaking of Rocky, this is a complete non sequitur, but I read last night that the actor that acted Apollo Creed, passed away yesterday. I wanted to let you know that. Kind of a, yeah, a sad moment. Um, oh, man. Um, I saw it, too. His name was uh, what is it?
1: Carl Weathers, right? Yes, you're, actually, yeah, you're right. That was so sad. Yeah. We lost a legend.
0: Yeah, we did. It, uh, uh, we Rest lost a legend. Geisha, Carl Weathers. And uh, Lost Roman Heroes is giving <laughs> a, a little shout-out to Carl Weathers, a remarkable actor, and he seemed like a decent human being. And he played some epic roles, and yes. that's that's a sadness. And yes. so, getting back to the Roman Forum, Antony is delivering this eulogy, and the eulogy, as he speaks, Matteo, the crowd is getting more and more wound up because he's talking about everything that Caesar did to lift up the little man and to protect them from the Senate. And he gave such a great performance. He was so effective in riling up the little dude, which seemed to be his intent, that, according to Appian again, the people could stand it no longer. They considered it monstrous, monstrous, that all the murderers had formed this conspiracy when instead of being punished, they had been promoted to magistracies, provincial governorships, and military commands, and that Decimus had even been thought worthy of adoption as Caesar's son. Because Decimus was also in the will. So then right. they couldn't take it anymore. The common men in the forum went berserko, and the crowd dispersed into the city looking for the liberators' homes, trying to find Caesar's murderers so that they could mess them up. So much right. so that most Divine of the
1: injustice.
0: Yeah. Enough is enough. You know, they just couldn't take it. It was like a hundred years of pent-up frustration, anger exploded and they wanted to rip the conspirators limb from limb. And so these guys, Caesar's murderers, the the Liberators, fled the city. Good work, Antony. Good work. But now what? What did Antony do? In the subsequent days, well, he seized the state treasury, move out of Caesar's book. Calpurnia, who was Caesar's widow, handed over all of Caesar's documents to Antony, which made him sort of like heir-ish. Like he wasn't the heir in the will, But if you give him all of Caesar's stuff, it definitely elevates Antony's position. And so, now Antony is the head of the Caesarian faction, clearly. But somewhere out there, who knows where, there's a little dude lurking, (laughs) So there's a little dude marching with his skinny little legs up the Appian Way to Rome. So, you have the legal heir, Octavian, and then you have, my son, the logical heir. Uh, right.
1: conspiracy spirit of. Yeah.
0: So, the legal heir versus the logical heir. Who is the little dude on the street going to back? And these little dudes, they're pissed off. They're seriously angry. Their champion was dead. The only guy that truly cared about them is dead. Who is going to be their new champion? So, this was just a week after Caesar had been murdered, and then two very weird, very uneasy months passed in the city of Rome. Until May, I think it was like May 6th. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. It was May in 44. Octavian, Octavian, and Agrippa arrive at the gates of Rome. Uh, By the way, there is something else that... uh, that Antony did, I forgot to mention. Remember, I said that Caesar left two-thirds of his estate to Octavian, but he also left a a sum of money to every single Roman citizen. Right. And Antony, sorry, Antony prevented the disbursement of funds from Caesar's estate. He did. But to everyone, including to Octavian, he claims some little technicality. You know, it's because Caesar's money is sort of mixed up in the money of the state. You can't really separate it. It's going to take some time. You understand. Math isn't it's easy. It's so weird. Yeah.
1: It's like he was just trying to, he was just trolling people.
0: Yeah. But especially trolling that? Octavian.
1: Well, yeah, but it just seems like he's kept searching sides so much, he was just like, all right, let me just try to piss everybody off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's There's truth to that. There's truth to that. So anyways, uh, around this time, as Octavian is arriving at the gates of Rome, uh, Mr. Cicero, Mr. Cicero, was, had had enough of Antony because he was seeing in Antony, another Caesar. And maybe Cicero didn't participate in the murder of Caesar directly, but he did not tolerate. A tyrant. He didn't tolerate what Caesar was doing. And so Cicero, fearing that Antony was heading down a separate, similar path, he gave a series of speeches in the Senate, Matteo, uh, 14 speeches, and uh, against Antony. Uh, and by the way, Cicero, after Caesar had been killed, Brutus raised, and this is in the seconds after Caesar had been murdered. Caesar is slumped on the ground, Bloodied, you have the liberators there with their knives. Brutus raised his bloody knife in the air and said to Cicero, "Cicero, restore the republic." You know, Cicero was the respected elder statesman. Cicero, restore the republic. And Cicero, that's so
1: douchey. I'm not gonna lie, that's so douchey. It is, and and this so is gonna. It's like a bunch of teenagers, like. Completely screwing something up, like taking a very, like,
0: in-the-moment decision, like murdering someone. Yep. And they just look at the older cousin and they're like, all right, you going to fix all this. Yeah, fix I'm it. I'm going to tell this to mom. Yep. <laughs> oopsie-doo. Yo, cuz, we messed up. Oopsie-doo, you, you help us clean this up. And you're not going to like this about Cicero. Shortly thereafter, he wrote in a letter to one of the conspirators, a guy by the name of Trebonius, Oh, how I wish you had invited me to that most glorious banquet held on the Ides of March. The banquet that's, being that's, the murder of Caesar.
1: That is not incriminating at all.
0: Yeah. So in case you had any doubts about where Cicero's true sympathies lay, they he very much lay with the conspirators. At any rate, Cicero starts lacing into Mark Antony in this series of speeches, which are famous. Uh, they're called the Philippicus, I think, and they've been recorded. You can read them. Um, but it started yeah this the tension between Mark Antony and the Senate is growing and when Octavian arrived in town the first place he stopped after walking through the gates of the Agrippa was Cicero's house. Cicero invited Octavian over for tea. So imagine this you have nineteen-year-old Octavian with nineteen-year-old Agrippa now by the way Octavian now calling himself Gaius Julius Caesar sitting in front of ancient Ciro, uh, Ciro, Cicero sipping tea. And Cicero, sitting in front of the 19-year-old, what did he see? Was it just Caesar's fortune? Was it just Caesar's name? Or did he see something more? And I think... Sure. Sorry, I cut you off. I didn't mean to.
1: No, no, I want you to finish.
0: No, I think he saw something more because... Cicero invited Octavian, urged Octavian, to oppose Antony, like, day one. He tried to pull him into the orbit of the Senate and to use him as a counterweight to Antony, because according to Cicero, Antony was misrepresenting Caesar's wishes, Caesar's true intentions. You know, we don't know exactly what they agreed in that little tea time, eating their finger sandwiches and and sipping tea, but they agreed on something. Because shortly thereafter, Octavian and Agrippa, the two best friends, strolled into the city of Rome. And uh, it was called the Philippicus. Phil- Philippics. Those are the speeches that, that uh, Cicero is giving. But
1: yeah. Yeah. they would walk into the streets of Rome
0: and uh, not look behind. And that was the explosive summer of 44 BC, where the slightest spark would reignite the Civil Wars. Caesar had paused them, not necessarily ended them forever, and they were- All the
1: dummies around him just messed it up.
0: Yeah, and that Civil War was about to reignite and engulf Rome. But would Rome survive one more Civil War? Or would that really be, truly be, not just the end of the Republic, but the end of Rome itself? So, Matteo. I think we leave Octavian and Agrippa here, standing on the Via Sacra, standing in the middle of the Forum in the summer of 44 BC with the world about to crumble.
1: Right. I don't think there's a better way to leave it off.
0: All right. So, that's it for Octavian episode number one. To our listeners, stay tuned for Octavian episode two where we pick him up again, pick up his thread in the forum with Mark Antony trying to turn himself into the next Caesar. It's it's intense.
1: It's super intense. The the walls and the floors are the ceilings are crumbling.
0: Yeah, in in essence, at this point, the Republic is really no more. And, and as you said, it was the Republic we knew and loved. It has been no more for quite some time. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know what the analogy is. But if we go back to our Star Wars analogy to, to try, try to put this into perspective, this is, you know, Palpatine is, has taken control.
1: Right. Palpatine is, t- or... or- yeah. Yeah, there's no better way to put it. Or maybe it's like, um, maybe it's like, maybe it's like right after the explosion of the Death Star, second time, it's like, okay, now we have all these warlord guys around. Yeah. And the, the, the Imperial Senate's gone, like the Republic's gone. I don't know. It's kind of like um, Robert Brathian just died.
0: Yeah. That's true, and 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 there's no longer you know the single centralized government, but you have a Brutus who's now off in the east and as uh, a governor in Syria, and you have a Decimus Brutus, and you have a Cassius, and you have a Mark Antony, and you still have, you Pompeians. St- yeah, you still have a, a, a son of Pompey out there. So we've Rome has turned into a state, an empire of of warlords, each trying to right. carve out their own fiefdom, and you have. A 19-year-old skinny little dude with an awesome best friend standing in the forum with a ton of money that he can't access and a name that people sort of respect but no deeds to back it up, saying, what next? Right. So
1: He's in a very dangerous situation.
0: Very, very dangerous situation. So let's leave it there. And let's say to our listeners, thank you profoundly from the bottom of our hearts for sticking with us. Thank you for putting up to what we know is not ideal sound quality on this one. But next episode, I think we've found the hack for better sound quality. So I believe in Octavian number two, we're gonna be back to our prior kind of production values. But we are profoundly grateful to all of you for listening to us, for feeding us awesome ideas, for giving us feedback. Uh, I got feedback yesterday, Mateo, which was, I don't know if you've seen mics. They put little like fabric things on top of mics. Uh yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I know what that's called. I was doing research recently for um music things. But that's called um not I'm not a muffler, what's it called again? Uh uh
0: I don't know. I'm not certain sure what it's called, but your first a windscreen, a windscreen. Uh, windscreen? windscreen? windscreen. windscreen. All right.
1: Yeah, it's for like your breath and nose.
0: Okay, your, your cousin told me last night at the wedding, as part of that feedback he was giving, which was really valuable, you should try putting one of those things on the mic, because when you say S, your S's are coming through a little hard. I'd never heard of that before, but we're going to get one of those too. Hey, shows he's
1: listening. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's
1: listening keenly.
0: So, thank you. Keep emailing us at info at Send us messages, direct messages on Instagram, at LostRomanHeroes, or on Twitter, at LostRomanHeroes. Visit us on our website, www.LostDermanHeroes.com, and give us new ideas for heroes to cover, and we'll add them to the list. And please, 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 pretty, please, pretty, please, with a cherry on top, leave us reviews on iTunes. They're massively powerful in helping us spread the word. We have broken 8,000 downloads, which is awesome. Can't believe it. And that's all thanks to your support. So thank you. Matteo. anything else to say before we sign off?
1: Thanks for listening and keeping up. And I'm trying to do my best. So I'm sorry for the quality.
0: But we'll do better. Thank you to everyone. Right. And we can't, can't wait to talk to you again next Sunday for Octavian, episode number two. <laughs>